So we're here in the middle of this sermon series on our Malat Chapel windows. We have a little chapel upstairs on the third floor, and it was uh, started. It was built in the early 1990s. Today we're looking at our freedom window and are thinking about um, the text in the middle there that says Berlin wird mauerfrei, um, and we are looking at the Berlin Wall. All of the um, shafts of light, these windows in our stained glass windows, um, each of the windows is accompanied by a psalm, and so today's psalm is Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice and my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in God's word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with the Lord there is great power to redeem. It is the Lord who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in late 1989, in December, Don Dale was a student in Europe and he traveled back and forth to Berlin. He reports that in this world before Google Maps, you need only listen to geolocate yourself within the city. Had the hammering away at the Berlin Wall become just a hushed battering in the distance? You're probably about a half mile from the wall then. But had the belt and whack of hammers become a deafening roar? The wall was just around the corner. At all hours of the night, from November 9th, 1989 onward, the wall was slowly and quickly being chipped away, piece by piece. The city, the wall itself, concrete slabs and barbed wire, was miles long, so there was plenty of wall to come tumbling down. Don Dale knocked this piece off himself. A friend about 10 years ago brought this one to my office. They both have different bits of graffiti and color to them. Maybe you have a piece too. For a while it was being sold and distributed around the world. In Illinois, there's a piece at our Ronald Reagan Peace Garden in downstate Illinois in Eureka, and there's a piece on Western Avenue at the Brown Line stop. 
part of the Berlin Wall is in public display all across America. And tourists of every stripe have carried a bit home in their pocket or suitcase. It seems a little bit strange that an image of graffiti has been turned into stained glass. This is the exact image of graffiti that you see in our stained glass window. While, but while Kenilworth Union Church and this village and the North Shore in general have this reputation for being prim and proper, genteel, fastidious, dapper, striving for elegance and sophistication, street art and graffiti have a little bit of a different reputation, right? It's considered vandalism. You could get arrested for, uh, for spray painting art on a wall. You can't even buy or sell spray paint in the city of Chicago. And if you go to the Blick in Evanston, uh, it's behind lock and key. You have to show your ID just like you do for cigarettes. In Detroit, graffiti's illegal, not just on public property, but also on personal property. You have seven days to remove graffiti from your property before you get a ticket. And permits are required for all murals that resemble in any way graffiti art. So while stained glass windows are fragile in their own right, there is a different kind of fragile impermanence to graffiti that at any moment might be written over by other artists or by the general public or erased entirely by authorities or property owners. The very presence of graffiti on the Berlin Wall stands in stark contrast to the seeming stability and fortitude and permanence of the wall itself. So what is graffiti doing in our stained glass windows? And how does it help us to tell the story of our faith? The Malat, Chap the Malat Chapel windows were established in the early 90s at that time when the fall of the Berlin Wall was relatively recent, still living history, still unfolding. But looking around the chapel, this freedom window is truly the one that feels most Kenilworth Union Church to me. Because starting in the early 70s, Gil and Marlene Bowen, your pastor for 40 years, took young people to see the Berlin Wall, or at least to travel through it, because his first church was in Germany, where he became friends with East German pastor Reinhold Schmidt. Let's see if I can get that to change. Maybe not. Got a picture of Reinhold Schmidt. There, there he is. So this is a photo from somebody's travel journal. I think Betsy, it might be Betsy Herudians. I got some photos this week from church members who went on these trips. So that's East German pastor Reinhold Schmidt um, and Gil Bowen endeared himself to the congregation there in East Berlin. And this was the person, Reinhold Schmidt, who was the uh, pastor that our church was visiting um, in, in, East, in East Berlin. At a dinner table conversation early in his ministry here, Dr. Bowen told me, a few church parents asked, kind of informally, if 
he might take their children to, to Germany to visit and to learn. And he didn't know that saying yes in that moment would come to mean two and a half decades of cross-cultural immersion and border crossings and East German church basement communion services held nominally in secret with hundreds of young people over the years. When those of you who have long moved away from this area come home for a wedding or a baptism or a funeral, you proudly say, I was on one of those European trips. You crossed at Checkpoint Charlie. You took elevated trains over Hitler's bunker in the no man zone. You waited in earnest while border guards checked paperwork. You danced on a disco boat. I only know a small fraction of what that trip meant to you, and I know it meant the world to Dr. Bowen. So by the mid-90s, the wall meant something to this congregation. It had been passed through or passed over by so many of you that it became not just a symbol of global politics, but a place of sacred history one that connected freedom to faith. The wall went up quietly in August, on August 13th, 1961. It was just a little bit of barbed wire. Later, they called this Barbed Wire Sunday, but at the time, the world hardly noticed and just went around its business as usual, never thinking that this little barbed wire fence would stand for very long. But soon they added concrete slabs and it became a symbol much larger than itself. It came to imply freedom or the lack thereof, democracy or its unremitting foe communism, the uneasy peace and fear of the Cold War where an arms race and an arsenal of atomic weaponry meant everyone was walking on eggshells. The words Berlin Veered Mauer Frey mean Berlin becomes wallless. Berlin becomes free. Berlin becomes wall free. And it did, and the world rejoices. But one scholar pointed out that despite the mass celebrations at the fall of the Berlin Wall, the dawn of the 21st century, just a decade later, has already become a century of walls. The ancient Near East, that birthplace of the border wall, is today a honeycomb of fences and walls from Saudi Arabia to Iraq to Israel to Egypt. Once, an, uh, once a Mesopotamian king said during the Bronze Age that his own border wall made him feel like a bird in a cage. But those ancient walls offered a certain kind of protection, or at least hoped to. The walls were built to protect people, children, land, livestock, farmers markets, banquets, festivals. The walls always seemed in ancient times to imply some kind of outside threat, keeping feared outsiders at bay and hostile neighbors out. So when the ancient walls of Peru or Persia went up, civilization flourished. The armed fortresses of days past 
made way for musicians, finance managers, architects, scribes, librarians, all of them to thrive. When the walls did the protecting, fewer workers needed to be dragged away to become soldiers. So the poets and astronomers and epidemiologists could do their work. But today's walls, at least many of them, control the movement of people from place to place in ways that are just as oppressive and freedom-denying as the Berlin Wall. So how might our Berlin Wall stained glass window push us to a deeper mindfulness about our neighbors who are walled in or who have their backs against the wall, who seek the same kind of freedoms that we so well articulated decades ago? Where does our country's long cry for freedom that we celebrate today meet the world that is increasingly walled in? How do we let freedom ring? I think today's psalm might give us a way through. Today's psalm is for anyone who's been in that kind of trouble, walled in, without options, with no way out. Today's psalm is for those who are behind bars, behind oppressive regimes, blocked at every turn by another setback, another roadblock, another barbed wire fence. And I mean that both metaphorically and literally. The psalmist says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. This depths is the deep water, that watery chaos, the cosmic threat. It could be human violence or human hunger to power or human greed. It's that primordial force that disorders the world, causing chaos and despair. Hear my voice, the psalmist says. And they say it again another way. Let your ears be attentive to me, O God. That poetic duplication, hear my voice, let your ears hear me doubles down on what the psalmist needs. First, they need to hear, they need God to hear, to listen, to take notice, to be aware. Do not ignore me, O God. Do not forget. Do not disregard. Hear my cry. So maybe that's a key, right? Our first step is to listen. Listen to the pain of those who suffer. Do not ignore them. Do not uh, do not disregard their cry. Hear them, the psalmist requests. The psalmist waits for the Lord, we, we hear. The psalmist waits more than those who watch for the morning. This is a, another doubling, another duplification. It's twice said in this psalm, more than one who waits for the morning, as if the person who waits for the morning knows that, yes, the morning is going to come, but this psalmist does not know if morning will come, if hope and rescue are on the way. And so the psalmist cries out. They do not know if the Berlin Wall will be torn down or if it will come tomorrow, the next day, a year from now, decades from now. For now, this suffering is permanent as far as they know. But the psalmist waits more than those who watch for the morning. The psalmist waits from the depths, from the pit, from the place of trouble. The psalmist waits. The psalmist prays that the Lord hears, trusts that the Lord forgives. Knowing that God is 
never beyond hearing distance, even in the deepest of darkness, even in the farthest wilderness, even beyond the safety of the walls where the wild beasts roam and the bandits await new targets. This is what the psalm is telling us. God is never beyond hearing distance. This is not a God who is confined by walls. This is a God who, like our shepherd God metaphor from Psalm 23, is out beyond the wall, protecting the flock from all that is unsafe and uncertain and unpredictable. This is a God who knows us by name, who finds us those cool streams of water, even when most of the terrain is rocky and uninhabitable mountain or inhospitable vacant desert. This is a God to whom we can cry out from the depths of our suffering and sorrow because God is within listening distance. God is already there. There's this ancient Mesopotamian myth that tells of a local deity called the guardian of the sown who guards the crops that the people grow and establishes a safe barrier wall and stands there on the barrier wall protecting the city and the people and the crops. But the guardian of the sown never goes beyond that wall but stays right there on the boundary. But the God our psalmist is talking about is a God who is far beyond, who reaches beyond the walls. This is, a not, this is not a God who's just right there within the city, within the walls, in the protected place. This is a God who can hear our cry from the depths, from the deep waters, from within the cosmic threat or the forces that disorder the world. This is a God who can, from that place, be our rescue and hope. So no matter what terrible place we end up, no matter what trouble finds us, no matter what place of pain, our God can go there. Our God has the freedom to roam, not just in the world, within the walls, but the unknown beyond the walls. This unbound God can order the chaos and and enter into chaos itself. So by the time we reach the birth of Jesus Christ in our story of God's salvation and redemption, there's one remaining theological question that you hear echoed in the book of Philippians. Why would this God of freedom, who can move mountains and defeat leviathans, want to take on the limitations of human flesh? This borderless, boundaryless God of freedom and liberation is a God of such compassion who so longs for our transformation, our righteousness, our thriving, that enfleshed in the earthbound body of Jesus Christ, God walks among and alongside us, particularly with the poor and the oppressed, for whom the world uh, is just a series of walls, a series of stops, series of roadblocks. In that deep longing for freedom, Jesus takes on the powers that be, seeking the freedom of the people, seeking human dignity and justice and kindness and love and light. This is the story we know from the gospel. Jesus tends to the medical needs of the poor, feeds them, identifies with them, 
so deeply that he humbles himself and accepts death on a cross for their sake, for our sake. So if we are to be people who long for freedom, let us follow Jesus, who loves the unlovable and heals the unhealable, who walks the long road and feels the urgency for change so deeply that he feels the need to face the impossible at great risk. And let us follow our shepherd God into the depths, knowing that beyond the walls of our own making, there is the possibility of a deeper freedom, not just for some, but for all. Amen.